Shall we pray before we start? Heavenly Father, may this great passage in Romans 8 instruct our minds and warm our hearts and help us to live a life worthy of your name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Some of you will know that a number of years ago I was involved in Christian student ministry. And in those days I used to travel all over the south of England. And having a car was an essential requirement for the job. And at one point during those days, my rather old car went for an MOT and it failed spectacularly. This put me in a difficult position since I had very little money in those days and I couldn't afford to buy a new car. With a sense of desperation, I decided to do the only thing I could think of and I started to pray about it. Two days later, completely out of the blue, I had a phone call. A student whom I'd met briefly only a few months before was on the end of the line and he said, I've just finished my university course and I'm going off to Italy for a year. I've got a car that I don't know what to do with and I wondered if you knew of anyone who might need one. Well, in a state of shock, I replied, you know, it's funny you should mention that. I need a car myself. And by the end of the call, we'd agreed that I would take his car for a year. And it was a real surprise because I could have just about imagined that a wealthy member of my church at the time might have loaned me a car, but a poor student was the last person I would have ever expected. Anyway, I borrowed the car for a year, and by the end of that time, I'd saved enough money of my own to buy a car. Now, I don't want to pretend that I get answers to prayer like that all the time. Far from it. But every now and again, God gives us a special reminder that he is with us. He's for us. He's on our side. I'm sure you can think of many wonderful answers to prayer that you've received in your life. Well, our final passage in this series from the book of Romans is all about this great truth, that God is on our side. He is with us and he wants the best for our lives. It's a wonderful passage. In fact, it's so poetic, it almost seems a travesty to preach on it today instead of letting the words speak for themselves. But here goes, let's give it a try. This passage encourages us that God has been on our side in the past, he is on our side at the current time, and he will be on our side in the future. We've already had a taste of this message in the earlier part of Romans 8. Verses 1 to 17, we've seen that he's given us the wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit. Verses 18 to 27, he plans to lead us to the new creation. And here, finally, in this passage, we see further evidence that God's hand is upon us for good in the past, the present, and the future. So let's have a look at this in more detail. And our first point today is this, the Lord has been on our side in the past. When we think of God's hand on us in the past, the obvious thing we think about is maybe the recent past. But this passage is talking more about the distant past. Look at verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. Verse 30, those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. And in verse 33, we've got a similar idea where we're referred to as God's chosen people. 
So God has not only been with us throughout our lives, he's known us and been with us from the dawn of time. He's chosen us, he's predestined us to be his people. We're not just a last-minute thought, not just an accident of fate. God's hand has been upon us from the very start. Now, I don't know what comes into your mind when we read these words, but this concept does tend to raise a number of questions. For those of you who like theological terms, the question is, do we believe in free will or do we believe in predestination? Or for those of you who like more simple terms, do we choose God or does he choose us? Now, of course, this has been the subject of great debate over the years by both philosophers and theologians, and it remains a big debate today. So I don't think we're going to solve it all in a few minutes this Sunday morning. But let me offer a few brief thoughts for what they are worth. Firstly, we need to remember that God dwells outside of time. The Lord can see the beginning from the end, and the end from the beginning, and much more besides. Our minds are very limited, aren't they? Our perspective is very small. So what's difficult for us to get our heads around makes perfect sense to him. Now, secondly, when we're thinking about these issues, we have a tendency to focus on ourselves as individuals. It's a feature of our Western culture, but we're very individualistic, and as a result, we tend to apply scripture to ourselves. So we individualize the passage and we ask, did I choose God or did he choose me? And there's nothing wrong with that at one level. But we need to remember that in Middle Eastern culture, they're more collectivist. They tend to think of community as being more important than the individual. And this letter, remember, to the Romans was written not to an individual, but to the community of the church. At the start of the letter, Paul addresses the letter in Romans chapter 1, verse 7, to all those in Rome. So then, who is called? Who is chosen? Who is predestined? The church community as a whole. And so while it's a, an important question to think of ourselves as individuals, Paul is applying this to the church as a whole. So perhaps we shouldn't tie ourselves up too much in knots in thinking about the individual. But it may be some of you want to press me on this matter of, did I choose God or did he choose me as an individual? So let me say this. The answer in scripture as a whole seems to be both. We are responsible for choosing him. He has delighted in choosing us. And exactly what the mechanism is in that mix is very hard to say. I once asked a well-known preacher about this issue, and I asked, how on earth can you reconcile these two issues, free will and predestination? His reply was interesting. He said, they're like parallel lines which never meet in this world, but they will finally meet in heaven. Well, it was a clever answer, although it doesn't really solve the paradox completely. But he was right, wasn't he? There are some mysteries that we'll never fully understand until we reach the new creation one day. Now, let's put deep issues of theology aside for a moment because we mustn't lose the practical power of these words. Because the important point here is this. God is on our side. 
He's had his hand upon us throughout the past. He's known us from the beginning of time. He's chosen us. He's called us. We've been on his heart and his mind throughout the ages. And you know, sometimes we feel very small. We feel very insignificant. But to him, we've always been special. Look at what Paul says in verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? So when we're feeling down on ourselves and we might be struggling with our self-esteem, we need to lift up our heads and remember who we are. We're known to him throughout the history of this world. We are special to him. So let's walk tall because God has always been on our side. Now that brings us to our second point today. The Lord is on our side in the present. You see, there's even more good news because God is on our side today. He's with us in our daily journey of life right now. Have a look at Romans 8.28. This has always been a very special verse to me as it's through this verse I first became a Christian many years ago. Listen to these great words. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. In other words, everything we experience, both the good and the bad, God is with us working for our good. Even when things seem to be going wrong, even when times are very hard, even when everything seems lost, in all things, God is working things out for our good. There are many times in life when we go through very challenging experiences. It's hard to see any good in them at all. And of course, they are bad in themselves. We can't pretend otherwise. But God has a way of using the momentum which is coming against us and swinging things around for our good. Forgive me if I've mentioned this before, but there was a period in my life many years ago when I lived in a place which I didn't like and my circumstances were very unhappy. And I could see nothing good whatsoever in that situation at the time. But while I was there, I lodged with someone who's since become one of my best friends. And it was through him and his wife that I later met my wife, Colette, which is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Hopefully I'll get a few brownie points for that later on. <laughs> so although I couldn't see it at the time, God was able to swing that situation around and bring enormous good out of it. And you see, whatever you're facing right now, however hard it may be, you never know how God might swing it round and bring great good out of it. The philosopher Soren Kierkegaard once said this, we live life forward, but we only understand life backward. It's only as we look back later on that we can truly understand how God has brought good out of everything we've experienced. So if your life is a struggle right now, if you're finding life hard, if you're finding it hard to find any good at all in what is happening to you, hold on to this truth in Romans 8.28. All things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. So you see, God is on our side in the present. And just in case we're in any doubt, he reminds us of this again in verse 32. 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? See, God has given us the greatest gift of all already, his own son Jesus who has died for us all. He's shown that he is on our side in the most dramatic way possible by giving up the one he prizes most, his son, for us. And that is the surest proof of all that his hand is upon us for good at all times and in all circumstances. And just in case we're still in any doubt that God is on our side, Paul reminds us in verse 34 that Jesus, his son, is at the right hand of God and interceding on our behalf, supporting our cause, pleading our case. Once again, we can see that God is always on our side. So we see that God's hand has always been upon us, still is upon us in the present, and then we come to our third point, the Lord will be on our side in the future. I wonder what you think about the future. In 2019, the charity Bernardo's completed a survey about the attitudes of young people towards the future, and the results were quite depressing, although maybe perhaps not entirely surprising. Here are some of the results. 67% of 16 to 24-year-olds believe that their generation will be worse off than their parents. 62% believe that the government cares more about the older generation than their own. 35% feel negative about the future, the main reasons being lack of jobs, lack of money, and high house prices. 69% of people believe that they have a worse level of happiness and mental health. 54% believe that climate change is one of the worst issues facing the world. And 42% feel that older people don't understand or are interested in any of these issues. That's quite depressing, isn't it? Sorry about that this morning. And based on these issues, Bernardo's have coined the phrase that this generation is facing a poverty of hope. But you know, the Apostle Paul in Romans 8 is far more optimistic about our future. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? Verse 38, neither life nor death, neither angels or demons, the present or the future, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this is not naive optimism. Paul recognizes many of the problems we face in this life, trouble, hardship, danger, even possibly death. So how can he be this optimistic? How can he be so triumphant in the face of all these things? Well, it's because he realizes what matters most of all. Whatever we face, however hard it may be, God still loves us and nothing can ever change that fact. He has loved us from the beginning of time. He still loves us today and he will always love us for the whole of eternity. And that gives us a great sense of security, gives us great hope. Whatever happens, we know that what matters most of all will always be true of us. Nothing will ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. 
So as we draw to a close today, how can we apply this passage to our lives? Well, I don't know what's happening in your life right now. I don't know what challenges you may be facing or what hurdles you need to overcome. I don't know how you're feeling about your current situation and about the future ahead. But what I do know is this, whatever you may be experiencing in your life right now, God is on your side. It may not always feel like it. It may feel quite the opposite. But remember, he has an amazing way of swinging the very difficult situations around for your good. And even if the very worst happens, you have a secure future. No one can ever take it away from you. God's love for you will never change. It will always remain faithful, strong, and true. Nothing will ever separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so whatever your situation may be, let's leave here today with our heads held high, hearts full of hope because God is on our side. His hand has always been with us throughout the ages, still is with us today, and will always be with us throughout the ages to come. And then people will say of us, whatever our lot may be, verse 37, in all these things we are more than conquerors, through him who loved us. We can prevail. We can move forward with confidence. We can feel secure in the knowledge that God is always on our side. Amen.